Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. This morning, we want to talk about your life sentence. Your life sentence. And no, not a sentence to life in prison, at least I hope not. But I'm just talking about your epitaph, right? The sentence that might be written about you when you're gone. It might be engraved on granite on a tombstone if the Lord tarries, right? How would someone think about this? I know we're not comfortable thinking about death all of the time, but how would someone summarize your life in one sentence? How would you be remembered How would people remember you? What are you going to be remembered for? Uh, To be honest with you, this this message, I put this message together before I even realized this was Memorial Day. But how would you be remembered? You know, one tombstone in England is, there's the words chiseled on on one tombstone there that says, uh, Sir John Strange... Here lies an honest lawyer, and that is strange. <laughs> I mean, certainly that guy's going to be remembered for his sense of humor, right? Um, at times, I'm surprised by how the Bible summarizes a person's life. Um, it was said of Enoch in Genesis 5.24 that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That <laughs> summarized his life. Enoch walked with God. What a great summary of his life, of a, of a king named Amri. The Bible says he did evil in the sight of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. Not the best epitaph. What a difference between the two, right? Between Enoch and Amri. This morning we get to read Moses' epitaph uh, as we finish our study on his life and we're going to glean several Principles from his final moments. Several principles. It's going to be like sucking on a fire hose, but uh, I hope you enjoy it because we're just going to, there's a lot here for us. And uh, let's just get started uh, with Numbers 27, 12 through 14. Um, Moses viewing the promised land. Verse 12 Yahweh said to Moses, Go up to this mountain of Abiram. And see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. And so when you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So before 
Moses dies, God has him go up to uh, a certain mountain, Mount Nebo, most think it is, on the northeast corner of the Dead Sea. This is straight east of Jericho. If you know where that's at on a map, it's um, uh, pretty much east of Jerusalem. But uh, in eight, about eight miles, according to Google Earth, um, from the Jordan River. So um, it's from this peak that he gazes across the land, the promised land that God promised to his fathers, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And uh, it's a special mo- moment for him, obviously. Uh, this is 40 years in the making that he finally gets here to this point. But it's also um, a bittersweet moment because he knows in his heart and that they should have entered this land nearly 40 years ago, you know, 38 years ago. But the people of Israel failed to enter the promised land because of a lack of faith. They didn't believe Yahweh could take the land. They were afraid of the people in the land, and so they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. And Moses himself doesn't even get to enter the land because in a moment of disbelief, he didn't honor the Lord as holy, as we just read. We looked at that account last week. The people were thirsty. They were angry with Moses. Moses got angry in response, and he struck the rock when he sort of spoke to it. Um, and God says, God, with a good discipline on his life, said, you're not going to enter the land. And so it's a, it's a bittersweet moment that God has kept his promise. He's allowed Moses to see it, but there's also a sense of sobriety here that he doesn't actually get to enter into it. Um, so how we live really does matter, right? Um, but there is, I think, a subtle message here that God uses here, and one is that uh, the me- it's, it's sort of found in the book of Hebrews, but it's that it's not the law or Moses that gets us into the ultimate promised land, right? The law cannot save you. Only Joshua. We could say in Hebrew, Yeshua. We could say in Greek, Jesus. It's the same thing. Uh, Only Jesus, our Joshua, Yeshua, gets us into the promised land. I think that's quite the picture that we might see there. But uh, you see Moses' meekness, in that meekness, his humble humility, in that he, Moses is standing here, he's looking into the promised land. You'd think that, that right now he would be, I don't know, Shaking his fist at God, saying, why would you do this to me? Isn't this torture? (laughs) Seeing the promised land but not getting to enter it, you'd think he'd be bitter. you think he would be angry. You'd think he'd be maybe in a state of panic or self-pity, thinking that he's going to go home at any moment uh, to be with the Lord. But he never, you don't see that in him. At all in in his in his final moments, you don't see any bitterness. It, it, you just see him never quit. He never quits serving God, even when things don't go his way. 
I mean, he is a, a humble guy. I think it dem- he demonstrates incredible maturity here by continuing to serve God in the ways that he can until it's time for him to come home. It's a great testimony um, for us, I think, on how to finish well. He accepted God's sovereignty in his life. And we see that even in his final moments, he's not even concerned about himself. He's actually concerned about the next leader of Israel. And we see the commission of Joshua uh, in, the, in the following verses, starting with verse 15. Uh, then Moses spoke to Yahweh, saying, May Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of Yahweh will not be like sheep who have no shepherd. And it sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? The sheep people without a shepherd. And uh, so Moses is gazing upon the land that God had given to the Israelites and his soul is just stirred Uh, He's probably looking at some of these fortresses out there, well-fortified cities like Jericho, and he's reminded that Israel needs a strong leader to lead them. And so he prays for a man, and specifically a man with two qualities. Number one, that this man would be a man of God's choosing. You know, Moses doesn't pull out a three-by-five index card with a list of names or a folded-up napkin with names on them and say, here's my choices, right? Pick one, God. He says, God, you show me who you are, who, who you, you show me the man whom you choose. I like that. And that's what we look for in every church, right? In village missions. You look for the man of God's choosing not who we want because we understand that what Moses understood that God knows every man's heart he knows them inside and out God, Moses called him the God of the spirits of all flesh he knows every man inside and out he looks at the heart not just the exterior um, he knows just the man to lead Israel into the promised land and second he pray, prays for a man with a shepherd's heart you see Moses understands that Israel doesn't need a mystic, they don't need a monk, they don't need a scholar even or a great researcher, they don't need some, you know, CEO or entertainer, they need a shepherd. Not that there's anything wrong with some of that stuff, but they need a, you know, I'm talking about some scholarly work or whatever, whatever, but they need a shepherd more than anything. Someone who is going to love God and love the people and show them how to love God too, right? And speak the truth to them in love so that they don't wander from him. And uh, bring them out. You like that? It's just, you catch the picture of the sheepfold coming in and out every uh, morning and evening, right? Leading them out to pasture, bringing them back in. Um, I love that picture there. But, you know, Moses, he was a good shepherd, all these years in the wilderness, we obviously know that Moses was not perfect. Uh, he had his moments where he was very <laughs> frustrated with the sheep. That's the reason he doesn't get to enter the promised land. But he was also a self-sacrificial shepherd. There was a lot that we didn't study, that we couldn't study, because Moses' life takes up five books of the Bible. You know, it'd be take a while to preach through them all. And so we didn't look at every account, but there was two accounts there where he actually offers himself in exchange for the sheep. When God says, 
I'm so sick of this congregation. They're complaining, they're moaning, they're groaning. And, and God says, I'll wipe them out, Moses, and I'll start fresh with your descendants. And Moses says, no. He says, he actually offers himself in exchange for the people. What a picture of Christ, right? Of, of our perfect shepherd who offers himself on our behalf. That's what God has done with us. We should be wiped out, but our shepherd offered himself for us. And so that's one of the ways we want to be remembered. Like Moses, to be Christ-like, to be self-sacrificial, to be servants. All right? We want to be remembered for that. Uh, whoever's first is last, and last is first, right? But let's read verse 18. Let's read on. Yahweh, so Yahweh said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him, and have him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. And you shall put some of your splendor on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before Yahweh. And at his command, uh, they shall go out, and at his command, they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And so Moses did just as Yahweh commanded him. And he took Joshua and had him stand before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, just as Yahweh had spoken by the hand of Moses. And so, who's God's choice? Joshua uh, chooses him to be the next key leader of Israel. And no one wants to fill. Can you imagine filling the shoes of Moses? Who wants to follow up a great leader like that? Uh, probably nobody. But this is something that you have to think, too, that God had long prepared Joshua for. His whole life, God had been honing this young man for this. I mean, he was Moses' servant from his youth, Numbers 11 tells us. He was one of the two faithful spies. He was a man who was filled with the Spirit of God. He was a man who had been to battle before he was a Moses' general. He was military. Uh, he was battle-hardened militarily. Uh, he, he was the one who fought the Amalekites below while Moses was up there praying on the hill. And so this is a man who is courageous, he's godly, and he is qualified. I think he is a perfect fit to lead this nation into the promised land. I think he's just the right guy. But I want to note that he's not Moses. He is the man to fill Moses' shoes, but he's not Moses. So he's not going to fill those shoes perfectly, is he? Not like Moses did anyway. God said in Numbers 12, if you remember this, that he spoke to some people like prophets, through dreams, through visions, through different sayings, dark sayings maybe. Um, Joshua will hear, though, from the Lord through the high priest, it says in this passage here. Uh, he'll hear, hear from the high priest. He'll, he'll, he'll hear through the Urim and the, the Thummim. I and mean, if you want a good podcast on that, it's in your footnotes. But Moses had a unique calling. 
Moses didn't meet with God that way, did he? He did not consult the Urim and Thummim. He spoke with God face to face as two friends speak. Does this make Joshua, the new leader, any less God's man? Not at all. It just means that things are changing, right? Things are changing. Leadership's changing. The primary means of revelation is changing. Think about that. The primary means of revelation are changing. Have we ever seen that happen before? Maybe with the apostles, and then it hands it down to the saints. But the different people, different leaders, different forms of revelation. But what? The same God, same mission, same purposes, right? It's like we just watched in the, your village missions presentation, uh, John, that knew different leaders, and they all served an important purpose, and they all carried on the same mission. You see, when a great leader of God dies, nothing of God dies, you know, <laughs> and we're all transitional. We were reminded of in Sunday school. We're all transitional. Even if some of these guys are founders, they're transitional in nature. There's none of us who are indispensable. But God is, you know. And and so leaders and methods, they're going to come and go, and you're going to find different leaders who have different methods. But God and his purposes stay the same. You know what I'm saying? They just keep pressing on God's mission, God's purpose, God's program. It just keeps moving forward. And uh, that's a good thing. I, like I said, personally think General Joshua is better prepared to lead Israel into the promised land than Moses was. I think God knows exactly what he is doing here. And uh, Moses, guys, he was a great man of God. He had a special place in God's program. We all know you, Moses was a unique individual, but think about this. So are you. You are all unique individuals. Ain't no one in this room alike. You know what I'm saying? God created you specifically for his purpose too and for here and now. God is the one who creates us. He sets the boundaries of our habitations. He sets our appointed times. He did it with Moses, and he does it with us. We're all unique. We're, we have, you know, a place in his program. We're all a, a brick in his temple. We're all a member of his body. Uh, you were created with your personality, your talents, your interests. In Christ, you've been given different spiritual gifts to use in God's program. You have a place. Moses had a place. Joshua has a place. You have a place. Think about that. Think about how great that is. And so we are here. I want to remind us, looking back to Moses, he was there for God's purposes in his time, and so are you. So that's my encouragement to you. Don't try to be Moses. Don't try to be somebody else that you look up to. You might learn some things from them, but be you. Be who God made you to be. Be remembered for being who God wants you to be. Don't be somebody else. Um, In a public commissioning here, Moses lays his hands on Joshua 
nothing real magical happening there, just a signifying that Moses' authority is now being um, uh, passed on to Joshua in the sight of all Israel, so they'll know that this is God's guy. And uh, again, think of how humble that is for Moses. I was supposed to be the one to lead him into the promised land, right? You think that that's going on in Moses' heart? You know, you'd think it would be, but he's not complaining. He's, there's no jealousy. He knows it's Joshua's turn. But uh, let's turn to our last passage, Deuteronomy 34, 1 through 8. We get some further details here on the final moments of Moses' life. Deuteronomy 34, we see Moses' final moments in Epitaph. Verse 1, it says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And Yahweh showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev, and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And then Yahweh said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your seed. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. And now Moses, look at this, the servant of Yahweh, died there in the land of Moab, according to the command of Yahweh, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. Now Moses was 120 years old when he died, and his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. And so the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. So after Moses views the promised land, God takes him home. Um, I find comfort in the fact that he died according to the command of the Lord. You know, death for us is not an accident, it's an appointment. He knows the beginning of our days, he knows the end of our days. And I don't know if you noticed this, but who buried him? Isn't that amazing? Yahweh himself buries him. You have to wonder if it was Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, you know, who came into the world and buried him. Uh, You do see Christ in the Old Testament show up like that, but... Um, Yahweh himself buries Moses. Doesn't that say a lot about who Moses is? And uh, even though Moses screwed up recently, God still personally loves this man and buries him himself. Uh, how strange, though, for a guy of this stature, right? One of the, he's the greatest Old Testament figure, um, humanly speaking. And he's had a greater impact on this world than Almost anybody, you know, outside of Christ. But nobody even knows where he's buried. He has a private burial. Um, Jewish historian Josephus, he's probably writing from Jewish tradition, but he wrote that Moses went up to the mountain with Eleazar and and Joshua, and a cloud stood over him, and he suddenly disappeared. That's uh, Josephus' account, so... You don't know how reliable it is, but um, it's just an interesting thought, too, that when's the next time you see Moses show up? Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ and Elijah there, huh? So we know that he still lives. Um, There's an interesting comment in Jude 
some of you guys are probably got running through your minds. Uh, there's an interesting comment there about um, Satan arguing with uh, Michael the archangel over the body of Moses. Um, apparently, Satan was interested in or displeased with how God handled Moses' burial. Um, some speculate that his interest, Satan's interest, is related to God's future plans for Moses. Some think he's uh, one of the two witnesses during the great tribulation period. You know, in those last seven years before Christ's return, there's two witnesses who witnessed for three and a half years, and one of them is a lot like Moses, at least in as far as the, the signs that they perform. Uh, one Old Testament scholar, Eugene Merrill, said that uh, most likely the sepulcher, uh, right, his burial chamber remained hidden precisely to prevent the Israelites from taking Moses' body with them into Canaan, uh, thus violating the divine command to disallow Moses' entry there. Uh, that's another speculation. Some think that Satan wants Moses, Moses, this, you know, great figure in the Old Testament, to have his own burial site so that people can come and worship Moses. Uh, that's an interesting thought, too, isn't it? Uh, Chuck Swindoll said, if we knew where Moses was buried today, as great a figure as he was, uh, it would be a second Mecca, if you know what I mean. A second Mecca, you know, like a, a pilgrimage people would make to this place out in Jordan, right, where they would come and they would probably kiss the ground, kiss the tomb, everything about it. You know, that's what, the way people get with relics and things like that. I mean, even the brazen, brazen serpent, the pole that Moses makes, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah later on has to crush it and just destroy it because people have started to worship that thing. Um, it's really weird, but that's the way people are. Um, you can see how Satan would use that. But um, nevertheless, or for whatever reason, it's incredible that God personally buries Moses. And Psalm 116, 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we need to remember this morning that God remembers his saints who are precious to him. Like Moses. But in verses 10 through 12, we find uh, what is essentially Moses' epitaph. It says in verse 10, And there has not yet arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom Yahweh knew face to face, in regard to all the signs and wonders which Yahweh sent him to do in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land, and in regard to all the mighty power, and in regard to all the great terror which Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so, I mean, I think that's a pretty wonderful summation of Moses' life, don't you? There's just no one like this guy. There's no one like Moses. Yet he, I mean, he knew Moses face to face. He knew Yahweh face to face, sorry. And God used him to do incredible signs in his, during his lifetime. Um, from age 40 to age 120. And uh, there were times when when Moses was tired and he was ready to quit, uh, several times we saw that. Uh, he was just like you and me, right? He had highs, he had lows, victories, struggles. But the overall projection of his life 
was that he was a faithful servant of Yahweh. That's how he summarized. He's kind of like David. David screwed up, right? Big time. And David had consequences. So did Moses. But how was David remembered? As a man after God's own heart. God didn't define him by that one blow up in his life or screw up in his life. He was known for being a man after God's own heart. Moses is remembered for being a faithful servant of Yahweh. That's the overall projection of his life. And that's how he finished. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6 calls him a faithful servant in God's household. So think about this. What was Moses not known for? He was not known for having wealth. He wasn't known for having the nicest stuff, the nice things. He wasn't known for being successful. He wasn't even known for being perfect. He was known for being faithful. That's how we remember him. He faithfully served God. He served his Savior actively and selflessly and faithfully until his dying breath, until his last breath. That's a life sentence right there, isn't it? And so my question as we finish up this uh, series is, what about your life sentence uh, what's your, how's your epitaph going to read? How, is, how are you going to be remembered? I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to be remembered as a nice guy. That'd be like the worst thing anybody could say about me after I die. He was a nice guy. Or he had nice stuff. He didn't take it with him, but... He had nice stuff. It'd be kind of cool if they said he was a really good gardener. You know, I wouldn't mind that. But no, more than anything, what do you and I want to be remembered for? For being faithful, right? Not perfect, but faithful. Faithful servants of Yahweh until he comes or he calls us home. Amen? We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this uh, series on the life of Moses and what a joy it's been. Uh, I trust that by now so many of us have found a a friend in Moses, someone whom we can relate to, maybe even in some very personal ways. We understand that Moses is not Charles he Charlton Heston. Uh, we understand he's not the Prince of Egypt, but he's Moses. He's a man like us who has his ups and downs and has his victories and struggles. And, and Lord, we pray, praise you for the way that you've used this study. You've used the life of Moses to speak to us and sometimes in ways that are almost so personal, it's, it's scary. Just how relevant your word is. But Lord, we pray that you would continue to sanctify us and make us more like Christ until you call us home. And I just pray that we would be uh, a people of, of faith 
who depend on you and who serve you faithfully until the day that you call us home. And all God's people said, 